What's up, snobs? Shane here. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Film School Snob Podcast. With me, as always, my co-host, Michael. Michael, what have you been watching this week? This week, I watched Netflix's new movie, The Outlaws, and I really enjoyed it. It's got Adam Devine. He is married to Nina Dobrev, or he's going to get married to Nina Dobrev. Adam Devine plays kind of just this really silly, ridiculous character who um, works at a bank. The bank gets robbed, and it may or may not be the parents of his fiance, who is played by Pierce Brosnan and Ellen Barkin. Lil Ray Howery plays basically the exact same role that he played in Get Out, which is one of my favorite character performances in the last 10 years of cinema. This movie isn't great. It wasn't like the best movie of the year. It's definitely not going to get any Oscar talk, Oscar nominations, anything like that. But it was really fun. If you have, you know, laundry to do, chores to do, throw it on in the background, it's a good time. I feel like that's more or less how I feel about almost every Netflix original movie. Outside of their, like, big, you know, marriage story or Irishman or, you know, the the awards contenders that they put together. But I feel like most of their releases are like, oh, yeah, it's a three-star movie that is fine to have on in the background while you're cooking dinner. Yeah, that's kind of true. It's kind of weird that the TV side of Netflix is not like that. Like, Netflix is leading the game in television. It seems like, you know, networks are no longer really dominating the most popular TV series. It's run by Netflix and other streaming sites. But I agree. It's mostly mediocre movies. What have you been watching, Shane? I don't have cable, but I do have YouTube TV. And I recently discovered that I have a channel that almost exclusively plays old reruns of Fear Factor. And so I have pretty much any time I don't have something to watch, Fear Factor has been on on my TV. And I forgot how much I love that show. Like that is not even just like a, oh yeah, it's fine. Like that is like genuinely one of my favorite TV shows ever. I really enjoy it. If you were old enough to remember when Fear Factor was in its heyday, there's just like not words to describe it. Like it was a phenomenon you had to experience. I feel like (laughs) Fear Factor and American Idol are the reality shows that like I cannot describe to you what it was like when they were on TV. Like they were just one in a million lightning in a bottle. And it's got me thinking, you know what? I think we need a Fear Factor comeback. I know they tried it. They've tried it a couple of times. And the first time they tried it, it went well. And the second time they tried it, it was over on MTV. It was a couple years ago and it was ludicrous. And I was excited for it just because it's like, oh, Fear Factor's back. And it just didn't quite have the same punch. But I think, especially right now with the writer's strike, we're getting so much terrible reality TV. There's shows like uh, Reality Celebrity Relative Show, Claim to Fame, where it's like, These aren't even famous people. They're just related to famous people and you're trying to figure out who they're related to or or stars on Mars where like it's a reality show where pretending takes place on Mars where Marshawn Lynch and McLovin from Superbad are on it. And it's just like if we're going to do this, if we're going to, you know, be stuck in this and, you know, prank panel and all the other stuff we're getting, let's do it right. Let's get Fear Factor back. Bring back Joe Rogan. I think if they announce tomorrow, and obviously he's a lightning rod, and I'm not interested in talking about the the deeper inner workings of Joe Rogan, but if you announce tomorrow that you are relaunching Fear Factor in prime time with Joe Rogan returning as the host, who's not watching that? Oh, I'm 100% watching that. Yeah, back in the, what, mid-2000s, Fear Factor, 
like you could stop an entire room of conversations. Like if you just for some reason had like eight, nine people in your house and you put on Fear Factor, it's all eyes on the TV, all eyes on, you know, every conversation is about what's happening. It was great. I mean, it's not something that you need to keep up on. Like you can just turn on a random episode at any time, flipping the channels. It really is the quintessential channel surfing TV. Like it's the best. And I fully support and would watch every new Fear Factor episode, especially if I had Joe Rogan. I feel like his price tag is probably too high at this point. I don't know. He still does like the UFC stuff. And I don't, I can't imagine he's getting that much from that. Like I think he's gettable. Let's get him. I'm in. I'm in. I'm on board. I don't need to be convinced. Joe Rogan might not be coming back to Fear Factor anytime soon, although we hope that he does and we hope it comes back in its full glory. But this week's news segment is about who is returning to their franchises. This week, the kind of surprising news broke, although really is it a surprise at this point, that Jennifer Gardner is coming back to reprise her role as Elektra in Deadpool 3. There's also rampant rumors about who else will be joining her uh you know i'm gonna say the name so potential spoilers for deadpool 3 and really this is kind of my larger point that we shouldn't have potential spoilers for a movie that doesn't even exist yet but the rumors are that ben affleck is going to be back as daredevil that patrick stewart and ian mckellen might be coming back in their x-men roles there's even rumors swirling that robert downey jr has shot a Iron Man cameo for an upcoming Marvel project. And so I just kind of wanted to use this news as a jumping off point to talk about, is this what we want from the multiverse? I feel like right now the current run of superhero movies that we're in has kind of become this. It's, It's become between Doctor Strange and The Flash and now this movie and... Uh, Loki, and all of the stuff that we've been getting lately, it feels like they're just becoming giant tent poles shot in front of a green screen that's going to be kind of a mess of action and just uh, look who's back cameos every couple of seconds. And I don't think this is what we want from the multiverse. What are your thoughts on this, Michael? I could not agree more. I think it's a weird era that we're in where it feels like every movie has to pull characters from other movies and there has to be some sort of connectivity or universe alignment or time travel. And I don't really understand. Like maybe Marvel just kind of started the trend and now we're in the wave of what's happening. But it doesn't seem like it really goes well most of the time. Like we're at the point where we're not even taking characters that people like from movies that people like. Like Daredevil is not like widely regarded as one of the worst superhero movies it, it's weird. Like, I, I don't know. Are they expecting people to be hyped up about this and get excited? Like, it's very odd. I think if you told me that we were just going to focus on one of these characters coming back and we were going to get like an actual quality re-examination of the character. Like, if you told me this whole movie was, you know, Ben Affleck is like the, the second or third lead in this and we're really going to focus on his character and it's not just going to be you know, hey, look, look who you remember him? Then I'm excited because, you know, I, I feel like Patrick Stewart as Professor X is a great example. What they did with that character in Logan was awesome. It was so great to see him in that. They did something with his character. It was really fascinating. And there was an emotional payoff to his presence in the film. It wasn't just, hey, look. And then, you know, he shows up in Doctor Strange 2 and it's just like, oh, hey, remember, he's the guy. And then they just kill him off and move on. And so 
yeah, I, I think you got to do something with these characters. We have gotten past the point where it's like, wow, I can't believe that person is back. Like, there's, I don't think there's anyone left that I'm like, you know what? If this person cameos in this movie, I'm going to have to see it because I can't believe that they got this person to come back and make this movie. Like, I, I think probably Michael Keaton was the last of those gettable, hey, we're going to bring back someone from the past and, and do something with them in this. Now you got to start actually doing things with the characters. I don't know. Is there anyone left that you could hear this person is coming back to a role that they previously played in a superhero movie that we haven't seen come back yet that would make you it go, yeah, I got to see that? I mean, at this point, I think we're moving into an era where we could be getting cameos from movies that we saw as kids and that would excite me like if we could get a christian bale batman again as some sort of like dc justice league like i'd be that'd be sweet but yeah going back even further is hard the rumor is that they begged christian bale to come back for the flash and he said no. Oof, i don't blame him probably made the right move I think maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze is the only one that just because of how weird it is, I would be like, I gotta see that. Like, if that character is back, I need to see what they do with that. That's the only one that I think could get me back. That could actually be funny. Nicolas Cage as Superman was on that list. Michael Keaton as Batman was on that list. I don't want to see them do what they did with The Flash and start reviving people. I don't want like, oh, they're going to make Keith Ledger's Joker in the next Batman. Don't do that. We're kind of mixed on this news and kind of split about who we want to see and who we don't want to see and all of that. And we're not going to get any more united when we talk about this week's movie because we are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. So let's start talking about the new comedy, Joyride. We have only one rule on this podcast, and that is if Seth Rogen makes a movie, we talk about it. And Point Grey Pictures, Seth Rogen and his partner Evan Goldberg's production company produced this film, Joyride, and we are going to talk about it now. Right out the gates, let's just establish it. I liked this movie. I thought this movie was consistently funnier than No Hard Feelings, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. I thought the highs of No Hard Feelings were higher. I laughed harder at that movie, but I laughed more consistently at this movie. Michael, what was your high-level overall view of this film? Shane, I don't know that I could disagree more. It pains me to say I was very high on No Hard Feelings. I think I gave it an A-. This will be nowhere near an A, nowhere near a B. The jokes fell flat for me. The storyline started off rough and recovered a little bit. But overall, I was not a fan. I did not enjoy this movie even a little bit. Why don't you tell me about some individual things that you liked about this, and I'll, I'll jump in as to where I find discrepancies. I think the starting point for this movie is the cast and their chemistry. I liked this cast i thought they played off of each other well i thought they were funny i believed that central relationship and that core tension to me i I felt like i could feel the seth rogan evan goldberg influence because basically this movie has the same central conflict as super bad where when you watch that movie it's like these two friends are on different paths and how long can they maintain this friendship that 
you know, they've kind of just had because they've been in school together and now they're going different ways. And this is kind of their last hurrah. And, and this movie goes in a different direction than super bad. But I felt like that same core of like, what do you mean? We've been friends for so long and we have to stay friends forever because we're best friends. That main central core. And also, you know, uh, I think every female led ensemble comedy is going to get compared to bridesmaids just because I think that's the funniest that is, you know, the, the gold standard in, in that type of film. And, you know, there is some of that here with the, the dynamics among the friend group and kind of, you know, competing for the, the main character's friendship. And, you know, you get the one weirdo outsider who's kind of, you know, really out there with, you know, Deadeye or Melissa McCarthy's character in Bridesmaids. And so I, I felt like it brought together pieces of emotional core that I really like from these other comedies and took them in a new original direction. And I believed that core of this movie. And I thought the cast was funny. I liked seeing them playing off of each other. I do appreciate, and I agree in some sense, that the characters, they were solid, legitimate characters that had their own arcs. They had you know, tensions between themselves, like you mentioned, they had conflict between each other and conflict with themselves, which I do appreciate because that is something that is very lost in most comedies. But one thing that really drives me nuts that I, I do feel like this movie did a little bit is there's like a lot of wandering when it comes to the main storyline. Like the storyline of this movie is like, what even is it? it's she's got to close this deal and also there's this side thing about her mom i'm I'm just not really fully invested when there's no storyline it feels like a lot of meandering and it's like i always bring it back to like every it feels like every mark Wahlberg and um kevin hart comedy where there's nothing even happening like i can't even explain what the main storyline is and i felt that in this movie I do agree with you, though, that I, I, I did buy the um, relationship between the two main characters. Even the trio was fine at times. But that is my main issue, is that it didn't really have a traditional story arc, and that bothers me a lot. It's, it's hard for me to... It's hard for me to like take breaks and do these wild, silly, comedic breaks, like the vagina tattoo, when I'm just not really... I don't really care about what's gonna happen like i don't know anything about her this deal she's making and it just seems like silly and i don't know yeah i do think it would have benefited from some sort of framing device that's kind of setting the tempo of it you know the two movies we just talked about super bad super bad and bridesmaids do that really well you know super bad is like okay this is our last night our last party before we graduate we got to get beer for the party and we got to you know make a name for ourselves at this party and it, it, that very much sets the structure for the movie. And same thing with Bridesmaids, where it's like, okay, we have a wedding date set and we're moving towards that. And everything is like, you know, the typical things that happen associated with the wedding. And so it brings that structure to it. This movie could have even taken that structure. This movie could have been a wedding movie between uh, Stephanie Hsu's character and her fiance. You know, just just make it that make it they're going to China for her, you know, actress friend's wedding and her best friend is going to be her plus one that she brings. And then we get into these hijinks. And, you know, I, I do agree with you because I think as much as I like the emotional core with these characters, I was a little disappointed in the emotional story. I do feel like the stuff with the mom 
wasn't really necessary. It didn't really work for me that well. I, I, I don't know. I, I, there is a way that they could have done that differently. But yeah, I wasn't fully invested in the story. And every time it kind of shifted to the story, I was like, no, just go back to the hijinks. Go back to yeah. the characters because that was what it did so well. Yeah, so it seems like you are fine with it just being character-driven, silly things happening. The jokes weren't, like, egregious. I just, I don't know. It, it wasn't anything that was revolutionary or really that funny to me. But it sounds like you're okay with some compromise in a traditional plot line, whereas I'm not really, I guess. Because, like, No Hard Feelings, like, you brought it up. That movie, I was interested. Like, I was really interested in what's going to happen. What's going to happen when the summer's over? What's going to happen, like, with their relationship? Is he going to find out? Like, I didn't have any of that. Not a single thing. Like, I didn't... I forgot the mom subplot was even, like, on the table. I think when you're dealing with comedy and horror, there is an emotion that supersedes the need for story. So in a drama, if the story falls apart or doesn't make sense, then, you know, that sinks the movie. But in horror and comedy... If you, you know, make me laugh or, or scare me, that is what is most important. And so, yeah, I, do I need this to be a groundbreaking story or even a really well-structured story? No, I don't. Because if you're making me laugh consistently, that's really all that I care about. That's what I paid money to come here and experience. So if you make me laugh, I will forgive everything. And I think this movie made me laugh, like I said, more consistently than most comedies I've seen recently. I did like the big set pieces. I thought you really got three of them. You got the the drug scene on the train, you got the uh, basketball players encounter, and then you got the big K-pop thing uh, towards the end. And I thought all three of those were pretty funny. I thought they were kind of out there. (laughs) I thought they took some big swings, especially with that K-pop scene. That was not the direction I thought that any of that was going to go, and that was genuinely shocking. Uh, you know, it surprised me like that. I think he could have gone bigger with some of it. I think he could have gone bigger with the drugs on the train scene based on the trailer. I was like, oh, this is like the big set piece. And, you know, I, I thought it played better in the trailer than it did in the movie because it kind of got resolved a little too quickly. And it was just kind of like, oh, we got thrown. It, it all happened off screen. It was like, oh, we got thrown off the train and our suitcase got stolen with our passports. And I was like, wait, what? No, like I wanted to see that happen. I wanted to see the the chaos you know one thing that i personally really enjoyed was the jokes that were really really out there and there was a whole entire sub like a very large joke about baron davis which this movie seems like it's very very strictly marketed to women right who knows who the heck knows who baron davis is like there was jokes about heinz ward um, Jeremy Lin, who I guess is a little bit bigger, but like my wife doesn't know who Jeremy Lin, Heinz Ward, or Baron Davis are. She's just like, what is even happening? I thought it was actually pretty funny, but I was shocked to see some really out there jokes about random sports players, which I mean, I guess I kind of appreciated it, but I thought it was so weird to see. I We talked about this before we started recording, but I think they wrote that part for someone else and then they got baron davis we were theorizing you know that the team that they run into is the team that jeremy lynn plays for in real life and i wonder if they wrote this and we're like i wonder if we can get him and tried to get him and then they couldn't and then you know they went down a list of people because yeah it is odd that baron davis would be your first choice there there are a lot of 
notable NBA players who have played in China who you could have gotten for that role who would be, you know, bigger names. You could have gotten, you know, Dwight Howard, I think is the big name who's playing in China right now that, you know, more people would recognize. But yeah, you, you could have gotten someone like that. And so I wonder if that was their original intention and they went down and Baron was the first one to say yes, because it's a weird, weird role to say yes to. Like, I get why Baron Davis said yes, but if someone like Jeremy Lin said no, I understand why he said no. Yeah, Baron Davis probably made his entire player's salary in just this one movie. Why Why do you feel that way about Jeremy Lin? I mean, he's completely out of all mainstream everything. <laughs> yeah, but he's still got the, the cachet. He's still got the name recognition. And to associate himself with something like this would be a swing for his brand. It would be, you know, pretty different. Like, I think there was just a documentary about Lin Sanity that, you know, had a bunch of buzz that came out last year. And so, yeah, I, yeah, I would have been, I think it would have made more sense if he would have been the one to show up and it would have been like, whoa, Jeremy Lin's in this movie. But hey, I like Baron Davis. I, I liked him back in the day. That was the era of Warriors basketball that I actually, you know, didn't mind rooting for them in. But uh, it was kind of weird to see him show up. I didn't think this movie had a really high production value. I thought all the shots looked great. I thought this movie looked like a movie. Like you could tell this wasn't just thrown together. Hey, we're going to just, you know, flatly light this screen and let a bunch of people riff. And, you know, it's very much, you know, we were talking about the Netflix comedy approach. Those movies don't look great. They tend to look kind of flat. I thought this movie was the complete opposite. I thought they, you know, captured a lot of the scenery and the big city landscape and all of that really well. Like it looked very cinematic I liked the message of this movie. I thought it had some really interesting conversations that it brought up. I thought it had a more nuanced look at, you know, uh, race and nationality. And, um, you know, as someone who is biracial, I thought her main conflict and that feeling of like, well, never fitting in and, you know, that she's too, too Asian for her white friends and too white for her Asian friends. I thought that was really relatable and interesting and not a perspective you get seen uh, that that often in mainstream movies like this. And so I liked all of that. Um, I wish the reunion had been bigger. I think the movie was missing the big ending. Her coming back and her having that personal moment I thought worked for me emotionally, but I wanted something bigger and funnier. I wanted her, you know, even like go back to that park where they met and maybe, you know, she's built that park full of you know the uh, anatomy that we've seen the friend you know sketching this whole time like maybe she's built it in real life as like a hey i believe in you and your art and then we get a big crazy funny sequence in that but it, it was just missing that final push to the end it kind of felt like we ended on more of a whimper than a, a triumph I, I really liked it, actually. I, I felt like it, it saved itself from being a, becoming an absolute disaster. I love the way that the characters really like reunited, got back together, band back together. And the big production-level events, like you laid them out, one, two, and three, I feel like that kind of filled the void that felt like you had in terms of you wanted kind of a bigger send-off. But I, I felt like the ending was the best part of the movie, actually. Now it's time for us to grade this movie. If the film gets an A- minus or better from both of us, we put it on the honor roll. If it gets below a C- minus from both of us, it goes on our academic probation. Michael, what is your grade for this movie? I'm going to give this movie a flat C. 
I think doing this review has brought my review has brought my letter grade up from maybe what it would have been. You convinced me that there are some some aspects of it that I enjoyed and that weren't bad, uh, but overall didn't land for me. Not a huge fan of the story. Some of the jokes were okay. Felt like they were a little forced in a lot of ways, but if you're not a big comedy fan, I wouldn't expect you to enjoy this movie. But it's doing great. It has a really good Rotten Tomatoes. Everyone that I've talked to that saw it really liked it. So what do I know? I'm not sure. For me, I feel like this movie hit right around the same spot as No Hard Feelings. I think it was consistently funnier, but didn't quite reach the same peaks that that film did. So I'm going to have to give it in the ballpark of the same grade that I gave that movie. I'm going to go with a B. That puts us a full letter grade apart on this movie. I think that's the biggest divide that we've had on a film that we've reviewed so far. But, you know, comedy is subjective, and so it kind of makes sense. What worked for me didn't work for you, and uh, this is where we end up with this film. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Film School Snob Podcast. Michael and I caught you up on what we're watching, and we really started the petition to bring back Fear Factor in all of its full glory we broke down the news of Jennifer Gardner and maybe others returning to their roles in the Marvel Universe. And we gave you our review for Joyride. We were very far apart on it, but I think that's about to change next week because the savior of cinema is on his way. Tom Cruise is back as Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible once again. We are super excited for this film. I feel like this is maybe my second most anticipated movie of the summer after only Oppenheimer. So I can't wait for this. We're going to break it down in all of its big, awesome action glory. You're not going to want to miss it. Join us next week for that. See you then.